In a far-off land, a radio show will commence. It's called Your Pet Matters, and tuning in would just make sense. Every Saturday at 10 a.m., relax and unwind. And listen to Dr. T, who has pet advice designed for you and for you alone. Free advice just for helping to keep your furry friend happy and healthy. Tune in to Your Pet Matters, a show underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care with quality you can't deny. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Good morning and welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tikiwa. And today I've got a mismatch of things. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the conference I was at and um, more importantly, the meeting prior to the conference I was at, um, the Collaborative Care Coalition, formerly VetSoap. Um, and you hear about that. While I was at the conference, I was at an emergency and critical care conference and I made a little video about um, the reasons why you should, reasons to consider emergent care for your pet. But, but first I want to talk about a couple things that I've been thinking about lately and utilizing. So I have two pieces of technology in my home that better enable me to help me with the care of my dog. Number one, um, many of us have it, um, but I have a different version of it. It's, it's a form of camera system, um, but I have a Furbo, which is a camera system slash pet treat feeder, um, which enables me to check in on my pet. Um, I'll tell you a story. At my niece's graduation, she had a graduation dinner in New York City, and in there I met um, my sister-in-law's family, we get together for events like this, and one of them is doesn't have any kids. Um, Steve and Eileen don't have any kids. They their kids are their dogs, and it was so funny to spend dinner with them, where I on my phone was monitoring my dog here. They on their phone were monitoring their three dogs at home, um, and it was camera system. So you know, I really love Arlo. Arlo cameras made by Netgear. I really love them. I think they're phenomenal. I also have Nest, um, but what I love about Arlo is you don't have to plug them in. They're battery powered and the batteries last for months. So it's phenomenal. Um, and there's a adaptable uh, solar attachment that you can get. Think of getting that for my front camera. Um, but I love it because you see high quality video, you get sound, you can literally interact. Um, and many people use them as home security, many people use them as small business security, whatever, but they're phenomenal just for checking on your pet. Most of the time when I look in, she's sleeping, but it's cool because I can see that she's sleeping at a particular place. But the Furbo unit I have, it's got a couple things built in. So not only is it just the hardware, you have a camera and then spontaneously I can press this button on my phone and it'll, it'll send treats, it'll shoot treats up. And I, you can record your own personal recording. So I think I just go chiku 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 chiku, and you can see these these treats go flying out. And it comes with particular treats, but I throw in my dog's kibble, and it's hilarious because I initially used that as a distractive mean when we were leaving the house, so that she would just be chill about things. So as I'm pulling out of the driveway, I still am in my Wi-Fi of the car, and I would send her treats. And I found personally that it it calmed her down about us leaving. But additionally, it has software in it where it detects barking. 
So if she's barking, then I'll get this notification on my phone, no matter where I am, say, barking alert, would you like to check in on her? Um, so that's good, too, because she does suffer from loud noise thunderstorm phobia, so I just want to make sure everything's going on. So if I know the weather's bad, then I have a means of, of checking in on there. Um, so I love that. I love that new technology. I also have a GPS unit, and I made a video about how when I first got her, she took off. She is... Um, we're working on this. She is a, she's got a very strong prey drive. And her main goal when she goes out in the backyard is what do I smell new? And she is trailing little critter trails, whatever. Um, she's starting to chill about that, but she took off on me. And I would not know where she was if not for the GPS device. So the GPS device enabled me to actually hone in on her location. I had a heck of a time finding her, but it indicated that she was actually heading back towards home when we met up in someone's backyard. Blew my mind. So to me, I have the whistle, and the whistle to me is phenomenal. It's waterproof. Um, they recommend charging it a couple times a week. I, the first, week I, first time I had it, I didn't charge it after three weeks. Um, it's great. It's phenomenal. So not only does it tell me where she is, I have it set so that I have digital boundaries around my home where if she leaves that boundary then I know that she a she's left and why um, the beauty is if I take her for a walk my wife will get a notification saying that she's out with me on a trip rather than hey she's out of the boundary you also get a notification if she's out of the boundary and every time we go on a walk it'll say she's so many feet from home she's heading home she's back at home so you can literally track where she is, which is phenomenal. But more importantly, it actually tracks activity. And they did a study, I believe it was Mars or Banfield, did a study where they gave away thousands of these collars. And they determined a couple things. They determined that so mobility is important if your pet is healthy or not. If they're healthy, they're doing a normal activity. The funny thing was that one of the researchers wondered what her dog was moving around at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It turned out that he was raiding another food area because she goes, usually he sleeps. So she's discovered that, that there was activity at 2 o'clock. But most importantly, for if they're not feeling well or they're injured, they're not going to move as much. And as they get older, they're not going to move as much. And so it really targets mobility. And what the, what the software does, it actually says, congratulations, she has maxed out on her uh, movement this week. Keep it up. Things like that. So it gives you a motivation. It gives you drive. But it also, through movement, it indicates how often and how long they sleep. And the study indicated that, you know, when we were in vet school, we were taught that dogs, adult dogs, maybe sleep 14 hours or so. Average dog sleeps like 18 hours or so. So when I see that she's been inactive for 18 hours during the day, that is actually considered normal. Um, those dogs that are much more anxious and hyper probably be up more often. So again, it's a tracking mode, but it really allows us to find true normals. It allows us to look at abnormals. It allows us to monitor just how much movement your pet is doing. Um, and that's just movement alone. So wait till they integrate temperature, pulse, respiration. They'll be able to do blood pressure. They'll be able to monitor blood glucose levels. So this new technology is wonderful on, so I have new technology on my, on my wrist and I think it's phenomenal that it monitors my activity, it gives me a heart rate, ECG, etc. 
Um, so that's really important. The old technology I utilize with my dog is I went online and I ordered these really loud bells because first thing in the morning, our routine is we let her out to go outside. I don't know where she is. I, I've got an LED lit color that I throw on her that flashes, so sometimes I can see that. But as I'm prepping coffee, and et cetera, I can actually hear the bell. The bell is out there, ding, 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 ding. Um, I did it for two reasons. A, so I could actually physically track her when I'm in the backyard to hear the movement to see where she is. Cause she is, she's in the bushes. She's everywhere in the backyard. And she's only this tall. So I'm used to a dog that's this tall, but now I have a dog that's this tall and she literally disappears in a bush. So unless I hear that ding, 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 um, I have no idea where she is. Um, and yes, you know, I need to train her better. <laughs> um, but she comes when she's called most of the time. Uh, but, you know, it's really good. So our morning routine when I'm just out of it and I can let her outside initially, I can hear for that bell and see where everything's going. So I, I, I love technology. I love old and new technology. I think there's a lot of future implementation for what we're going to do with it, where it's going to go. Um, I think it's phenomenal. And I strongly advise that you get some form of GPS collar for your pet. I strongly advise that you get a monitoring system for your pet. I think it's just great. And you can interact with them too. There's one for a cat that does a laser show too, if you want. Um, I just think it's great. And it's the future of pet life. So there, let's take a short break and we'll come back and we'll talk about different things. Like I said, the Collaborative Care Coalition and reasons that indicate an emergency response for your pet. You're listening to Your Pet Matters right here on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. Hear ye, hear ye. Your Pet Matters is back to answer your pet queries. Come get free pet advice from our friend, Dr. T, only on 1077 The Bronx. Good morning, Pet Nation. It's Dr. T here, and I'm here at the emergency and critical care conference and I thought I was gonna grab some people to do some questions and answers but I don't know maybe people stayed up too late they're just not interested in it so I thought I'd sit here in the uh, convention center and talk about um, common reasons why your pet will have to be seen by emergency um, situation whether it be for your regular vet during their open hours or later at night for um, on weekends for the emergency referral centers and then we'll talk a little bit about pricing and then a little bit about insurance and how how that'll benefit so one of the most common things that we consider emergencies are vomiting and diarrhea especially if your your pet is suffering from a condition like diabetes um, if continued vomiting occurs um, I always tell my clients that twice a month is considered normal vomiting for a dog and occasional cats will have a hairball but if they're vomiting more than that, they're getting lethargic, they're having diarrhea, there's blood in either the diarrhea or the vomit, those are situations where you, you should be seen. And it, it's, it's best to actually call your veterinarian. And let me backtrack, I think um, in your speed dial of your phone, you should have your veterinarian's number in, and you should have a referral center um, that you trust, that you've been to, that someone recommends for you, those are two quick numbers that you could have for those situations. Um, but vomiting and diarrhea is one of those things that, you know, I recently had a cat that he was vomiting, um, mom swore that he didn't get into anything, and 
as everything goes, you do things piecemeal sometimes. So, um, you know, didn't really want to take x-rays at the time. Um, so the next day when they came in, we did some x-rays and there was something in his stomach. Turned out he ate, um, there's a rubberized string that went around one of the sleeping bags. It must have been about four or five feet long. So he, he ate the entire thing. Um, so I had to remove that from his stomach. Um, mom was devastated. He did great. Uh, mom was devastated, but it's, it's always lesson learned. You just never know why a pet's going to vomit. Um, another common reason that we see pets for emergency is um, difficulty urinating, especially in boy cats. Um, if they're having difficulty urinating, they're frequently frequenting the litter box and vocalizing and a very small amount comes out. That could be a blocked cat scenario where the ability to urinate has been blocked by stones or crystals. Um, and it can become emergent. What can build up is um, they can have abnormal electrolytes in their system and it can actually stop their heart. So it's one of those situations you really want to be seeing. Um, if you have frequent urination issues, um, again, you want to be seeing just to make sure it's nothing major. Poisons are very common and poisons don't necessarily have to be poison. Poisons can be a toxin that you know pets can get into, but poisons can be even the food we eat. Um, most of you are familiar with grapes and raisins leading to kidney failure, chocolate toxicity in pets, um, antifreeze toxicity, um, any sort of rodenticides out there can be very toxic. Um, one of the most common ones out there that's pretty new is xylitol, which is a sugar-free substitute. It is very, very, very potent and very dangerous for dogs. It can drop their blood sugar like crazy. Um, I had two dogs that I think they got into a couple Tic Tacs and that's all it took. To lead to they spent about a week at the emergency center it's one of those things you definitely want to to at least reach out to a vet but they tend to be emergent situations um, no-brainer here any sort of trauma um, ranging from hit by car to lacerations anything like that can be um, potentially you know problematic and uh, especially hit by cars can be really you know a, a pet can be hit by car actually look okay but Sometimes things can be ruptured internally. There can be internal bleeding going on, um, broken limbs. I always tell my clients, I actually saw, a, there was a client that had a dog. He was hit by a car and during the exam, he showed no pain on his back left leg. But he had a broken femur. And so it's amazing what they can take. So again, it's one of those things you definitely want to, um, to go to an emergency vet or see your regular vet if they're open. Um, Gastric dilatation volvulus. It's where usually in large breed deep chested dogs that the stomach can expand with gas and um, basically it's bloat, but the worst is when the stomach actually expands and then twists. And what happens with the twisting is the stomach is attached to the intestine, the blood supply and so forth. You can actually cut that off and everything can become necrotic. So um, a lot of the symptoms and signs are they're kind of trying to vomit but nothing's coming out and they tend to be large breed dogs. So again, it's one of those things that, you know, the approach that we take at our practice is, is if you feel it's emergent and you come in and there's nothing wrong with your pet, then they're really, I take the approach as no charge, you know, but I'd much rather see a pet and say everything's okay than not see a pet at all and it leads to an emergency situation. Um, any sort of neurological problems, the most common thing we see in a, in a, in a sort of um, emergency situation, the two common things are vestibular disease, um, it can range from just an inability to move properly, to your, their eyes are moving back and forth, um, they're nauseous, 
um, that usually happens in older pets. Um, seizures are another um, issue. And seizures can be epilepsy, they can be toxins, they can be secondary to the disease, they can be unfortunately secondary to any sort of brain tumor or neurologic issue in there. Um, bites and stings. A lot of dogs come in, you'll see, I think on the internet there's all these cute faces of swollen dog puppy faces, but that swelling, although cute as it may look, can actually be detrimental, can cut off their air supply. Um, and just like us, we don't know who's allergic to what. So any sort of insect bite can lead to an allergic reaction. So again, you want to, th those situations turn back quickly, so you want to be seen, you want to be seen fairly quickly by a veterinarian. And the last one is, um, Eye problems. Um, I always tell clients that uh, an, an ulcer can form in such a short time frame. Um, a situation with an eye can go bad in, within 12 to 24 hours. So I always like to see eyes right away um, and start treating them. It's one of those things that can just go bad quickly. So you definitely want to see that um, immediately. And and my buddy, uh, Dr. Jason Nicholas at PreventiveVet.com actually put out some finances for things. So we talked about the um, dilatation, um, gastric dilatation and volvulus and you know the, the, the end bill could be about $3,000. Um, toxin ingestion, the end bill can range from anywhere from two grand to six grand, okay, depending on what's involved and how long they're in hospital, etc. Um, traumas, uh, bite, abscess, wound can be hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars. Um, hit by car can be up to eight grand. Urinary obstruction. So if your male cat is blocked and you need them blocking and they're in a hospital for three days, so that can be several thousand dollars. Um, oh, the other thing we didn't talk about was um, birthing issues. Difficulty actually giving birth, emergency C-sections, um, infection of the uterus in older pets, those can range for a few thousand dollars. So this really brings the question, there's, there's two things that will help you. For, for those of you who don't have pet insurance, I definitely recommend it. It is one of those things that insurance is there for a reason when we need it, and emergent situations are always the time where insurance pays for itself in spades. And, and I tell people that there is not a pet I know who's not gonna get ill enough to need specialty care or have an emergent situation once in their life. And for those reasons, those two reasons, it is incredibly beneficial to have insurance. Um, my friend who's a criticalist at VSEC, Garrett Pachtinger, talks about the emotional bank, that it's, it's very emotionally traumatizing to go to a place that you may not know the individuals there, they're giving you estimates for th potentially thousands of dollars, and insurance just buffers that, enables you to do the best for your pet, enables us veterinary practitioners to do the best for your pet. So I strongly recommend getting insurance, absolutely. To me, it's, it's one of those things that is incredibly, incredibly beneficial. So that's my little take on um, emergent situations, and it, it is really beautiful here, I kid you not. Um, but I think I'm gonna go grab a Starbucks or something, because um, my, tummies, my tummies are rumbling. So remember everyone, love your pet like they love you, unconditionally, and have a great day. 
weekend, you'll find a project to get involved with. And sometimes, it'll include your scaly or furry partner in crime. From Your Pet Matters with Dr. T, it's time for Producer's Pet Project. Your go-to for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and overall helpful tips and tricks to keep your best friend happy and healthy. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Hello everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and today I want to talk about why there are so many poodle mixes. As we know, poodles are very illustrious dogs and um, carry a lot of expenses when it comes to their fur. But we never really ask why they breed um, certain breeds with poodles. Um, and I have a few reasons as to why. So this was a blog done by um, Greenfield Puppies um, at www.greenfieldpuppies.com. One of the traits is that they tend to be hypoallergenic. Uh, one of the popular traits of poodles is their low shedding, hyperallergenic coat. No dog fur is completely hyperallergenic, but poodle coats have a very low allergenic properties. Poodles do shed some fur, but they don't have an undercoat. This means they shed less overall and they do not have high allergenic fine hair common to undercoats, um, which is very convenient. I used to have a German Shepherd, I think I've stated that in previous episodes, but um, the amount of shedding, we would pull off one brush. It was absolutely a nightmare just to take care of. So um, that's understandable as to why, uh, I guess in just like caretaking and just overall like a cleanliness, it'd be better to have that kind of fur. One of them is that um, poodles come in many sizes. So um, ultimately breeding with a certain type of dog will the, um, will have an outcome on how the new pup, what size it will be. There is always some variation in dog size and puppies can grow to be larger or smaller than their parents. One of the facts about burn poodles and other poodle mixes is that you essentially get to choose the size you want. Things can vary a little more depending on other dog breeds and the cross. You can often determine size depending on whether a standard or a miniature poodle is used in the mix. Finally, Mixed breeds are sometimes healthier. Reputable, responsible breeding produces generally healthy dogs. Pure breeds do have their own set of potential genetic health issues, so mixed breeds are often seen as exhibiting fewer health issues due to the variety of their genes. For the mix, this can sometimes result in a longer lifespan than either of their parent breeds. But this isn't always a guarantee. A mixed breed can sometimes be healthier but they could inherit all the conditions common to their parent breeds of a mix of them instead of inheriting none. It really depends on the parents and the good breeding practice. So it seems to me that the biggest part or the reason that uh, people gather these poodle mixed breeds um, are because of the size. I know that for my situation, uh, current living situation, uh, my landlord would not allow medium to large size dogs so we couldn't bring in like Great Danes, um, German Shepherds, pretty much like the big house dogs that you would often see in like um, a regular home. So people would get these mixed poodle breeds just because they're able to control 
um, just kind of what size the dog will be. So for landlords that are, are only allowing for smaller dogs, then you could have um, make, you could have a breed mixed with a miniature poodle and that would get you a smaller dog and help with that situation. Another reason it um, doesn't mention, but I think that should mention, is that poodles are known to be the smartest dog breed in the world. Uh, very easy to train. Uh, you see them at a lot of dog shows, pageants. Um, right next to it is the German Shepherd. But this is a highly intelligent dog, so um, another reason why these people could be breeding uh, these poodles with other dogs is uh, for high IQ and intelligence, possibly just for easy training, just to make sure that the dog is um, going to be just know the fundamentals of just how to live even especially if it's in a small place like an apartment uh, the dog needs to know that it can't just run around everywhere and just be wild and free so yeah that is all the time that i have for this episode so tune in next week where i give you more tips tricks and overall just fun facts to keep your furry friends happy healthy and safe until then back to dr t and your pet matters I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and I will see you all in the next one. Stay safe, everybody. That was today's segment of Producer's Pet Project. Your one stop for all things pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and more. Be sure to tune in next time. And for a more in-depth conversation, listen to Your Pet Matters with Dr. T every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Only on 107.7 The Bronx. Hear ye, hear ye. Your Pet Matters is back to answer your pet queries. Come get free pet advice from our friend, Dr. T, only on 107.7 The Bronx. If you're just joining us, welcome back to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and I'm going to be talking about the meeting I just attended, um, the board of directors meeting for the Collaborative Care Coalition, formerly known as Vet Soap. So I'm here in the um, Virginia, Maryland, Washington area. Um, we just spent a day meeting the Collaborative Care Coalition, formerly known as VetSoap. Um, we met today and I got inspired to make a video about, it's basically what the Collaborative Care Coalition stands for. It's, it's bringing both specialty centers and primary care practitioners together to create just better healthcare for our patients and better client services for our, our clients. And so inspired me to make a video on ways of how can you create better care. Number one is, and I find this personally works well with me, is create a connection with a referral center. Create a connection or connections. In my case, it's it's all about the people. It's all about the people you know. I typically don't refer to places, I refer to people. And the connections I've made within the referral um, practices determines my goals and desires to tell my clients to go see them. So I think it's important, if you're, if you're a day practitioner out there 
is to make a connection with a referral center. And every referral center that I have ever deal with has a liaison and they typically bring out the new recruits that they have there, but it never hurts actually to make a visit to um, a local referral practice you have or someone, somewhere where you've been thinking about referring and just make that connection because I, I find that that connection speaks volumes into the ability to tell your clients, listen, I'm sending you to Dr. Dr. Peter Chapman, for example. Me and, me and Pete get along really well. He's an internal medicine specialist, so I'm sending you to Dr. Peter Chapman. The beauty about that is I could literally contact him and have a discussion even before referring. Um, I find that the communications after referral are much stronger. And most importantly, we're sending someone, we're sending our patients to someone that we trust. And from that, the clients get, garner that trust as well. So I think that's really number one, that's really important. Um, I think the other stuff is to, from my perspective as a daytime practitioner, is to, is to think about the overall benefit. So what, what's the benefit of, of sending my patients referral? And there's still some, there still are some day practitioners out there who do not refer. I, I don't understand this. I think it's just better. You, if when you think about it, your, your patients are getting better care. Um, there are things that we can do as day practitioners, but there are many things we cannot do. And we don't have the equipment, we don't have the care, we don't have the 24-hour monitoring, um, we just don't have the specialists there. So it's much better when you, when you think about the overall benefit that your patient's care can get. Um, it's phenomenal. And I think there's a, a lot to be said about, well, they're going to a corporate place, whatever, and a quote came up to, in today's meeting and says, you don't have to be independent, i.e. you don't have to be non-corporate to really care about patient care. And so it, it's not whether it's a corporate facility you're sending to or not. I think it's very important that um, you think about what is best for this patient and um, sending to referral or even just for monitoring overnight is incredibly important. Now, the other two things pertain to the actual referral centers themselves. So, and, and honestly, it pertains from my experience to new associates, new emergency, emergency clinicians at referral centers. I think it's, it's important to um, think about a couple points. One is to think about the emotional bank. And my friend, Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, um, the CFO of VetGirl, we did a video and he talked about the emotional bank and he, he said it very well. He said that me as a daytime practitioner, if I'm dealing with a client for many years, I create this giant emotional bank. As for many times with him, he meets my client for the first time and there literally is no emotional bank. And with that, there, there, there could be a lack of trust from the client standpoint because you're just meeting this person. And so that goes back to my first point about make that connection. So if I'm sending one to Garrett, Chances are I've talked to Garrett beforehand. Garrett introduces himself, um, makes a comment about knowing me, and I think that just builds that trust there. But you have to really walk in the client's shoes when you walk into a room as an emergency clinician. When I worked emergency, I met people and pets for the very first time. And in many cases, it was a traumatic situation. And so you really have to act strongly and develop that trust with that clientele. You have to build that emotional bank with them. So I think that's important. The second thing is 
to me, as again, as a day practitioner, it's very important that the referral center has a really good client communication. Client being me, the referring veterinarian, has a, a really good client communication protocol. Um, and the client communication is also referred to the actual patient and client there. My expectations are you're speaking really well to that client there um, doing that. But I think it's very important to actually speak to the referring doctor, me, especially since um, I get a lot of times I walk in and there's a referral report and I go, oh my, my, my client and my patient were at the referral emergency center last night. So I think it's really important to actually develop that communication with your referring DVM. I think it's important to acknowledge them. Um, and I think it's really important to actually have that communication. I know a lot of times it, it gets busy. It, it's You're busy doing a lot of things, but if you really develop that communication with the referring practices, A, they're gonna refer more to you. B, you're satisfying the client needs, both the referring practice and your existing client with the patient needs. I think it's really important. And for new vets at day practices, it's really important that you actually have um, knowledge of these referral centers. So it'd be great if the referral centers actually have a new associate outreach program for not the new associates at the referral center, but any new associates at your referring practices. I think it's really important to develop that outreach there. Um, it was interesting because one of the uh, board members was saying that they had a young associate who was actually scared to intimidated to call the specialist. I don't have that problem, um, but I think it's very important if you develop that relationship, you can work wonders as to developing a much better rapport and thus better pet care to your clientele. So make a connection, know your specialist from the specialty or emergency center, um, know the referring vets, take into account the client standing in front of you is, has just met you and keep really good communication between yourself and your referring practice as well as the clients and I think everything will go better. So, so the whole purpose of our collaborative correlation, um, coalition is to develop those means and make it easier to have those communications with the referring DBMs. And in the end, you're gonna get better care. That's the whole process. Sounds good, sounds good to me. Thanks for listening. Remember everyone, love your pet like they love you unconditionally. Have a great day. Your Pet Matters with Dr. T comes to a close. Yet fret not if you missed the 10 a.m. Saturday show. Tune in Monday morning at 9 if you please. And hear free advice for all your dog and cat needs. You can find past episodes on the Your Pet Matters podcast or go to 1077thebronc.com slash yourpetmatters. Made for you and your pets, 1077 The Bronx is beyond compare. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care.